Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, more COVID-19 and staying at home. We're exploring the impact that the virus is having on all of our lives. There were significant developments this week in Minnesota in the fight against COVID-19, but also problems in even more areas. MNN's Bill Werner joins us. Scott, Governor Tim Walz announced an agreement with Mayo Clinic and the University of Minnesota to dramatically increase COVID-19 testing in Minnesota. Officials say 8,000 per day, very soon increasing to 20,000 a day within a few weeks. This is not a state that's going to just get through COVID-19. This is a state that's going to lead this nation and the world out of this. The plan that we put in place should allow Minnesota to be testing at a rate higher than any place else in the country and potentially the world. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said increased testing will more than meet the goal identified by the governor to ease restrictions on businesses and get Minnesotans back to work. Dowd added, Minnesota is going to lead the nation in testing, and it's my hope we can lead the nation in showing how we can safely reopen our economy. Minnesota's long-term care facilities continue bearing the brunt of COVID-19 deaths. And the state health department's infectious disease epidemiology director, Chris Ayersman, acknowledged this week it's entirely possible that COVID is getting into those facilities through staff or health care workers. But I want to be very clear that we recognize that there is um, a period before someone has symptoms that they may be able to transmit. And so um, I think it's important that There are no assumptions made that, you know, people were working while blatantly ill. State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm said significantly ramped up COVID testing will focus on vulnerable populations. Minnesotans living in congregate settings and those experiencing homelessness, staff that serve these vulnerable populations, healthcare workers, specifically communities of color and American Indian populations and also workforce for critical infrastructure. Malcolm points specifically to daycare and those working in other critical sectors of the economy. And speaking of critical sectors, COVID cases began popping up at food processing plants in Minnesota, starting with JBS in Worthington, Jenny O in Wilmer and Melrose, and Comfrey Farm Prime Pork in Wyndham. State officials say they're sending guidelines to all food processing facilities in the state, plus offering assistance. Labor and Industry Commissioner Nancy Lepink says they're also asking facilities to voluntarily share information about health status of their workforce. Have they had workers who have tested positive? Have they had workers who have been symptomatic and sent home? Have they had workers who have called in reporting symptoms of COVID-19? It was not unexpected when Governor Tim Walz announced this week Minnesota's K-12 public and charter schools will remain closed through the rest of the academic year due to COVID-19 as he extended his executive order past May 4th. The governor called it a heartbreaking decision and had a message for this year's graduating class. This period in time, you will be forever the class of 2020. You will not be defined by staying home and missing proms and missing graduations, you will be defined by understanding how interconnected our world is and what it means to come together to try and solve hard problems. The governor was asked, will schools remain closed even next fall? The answer is, I don't know yet. The governor says the COVID pandemic is ever-evolving and the state will learn a lot about how to handle it. There's potential game changers in this both ways, um, if this thing gets worse or if we get some therapeutics. At the same time he extended school closures, the governor relaxed 
relaxed some COVID-19 restrictions on Minnesota businesses. And officials say 80 to 100,000 employees in manufacturing, industrial, and office settings, but not retail, could be back at work as soon as Monday. Businesses must have a COVID preparedness plan. And Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Steve Grove encourages employers to work with their employees on it. Not only are you going to get good ideas from your employees, but investing them in the process of building a plan for your workplace means that they'll understand it better and you'll all be on the same page about exactly what your business is going to do as you begin this process of reopening. COVID preparedness plans must include health screening of employees, making sure sick workers stay home and employees working from home if possible. There's a template on the State Department of Labor and Industries website that businesses can use as a starting point. As I mentioned, retail is not on the list of businesses for which COVID restrictions are being eased. Minnesota Retailers Association this week suggested to state officials a plan for phased reopening of all retail establishments in the state. Association President Bruce Newstad contends in the short-term curbside service would work noting it's been effective in protecting restaurant customers and workers. Really, it's sort of an expansion of that to say, well, if that model works in the restaurant industry and you have some other essential businesses operating under some best practices, we can probably get, you know, Main Street uh, boutique-type retailers open for curbside in a very safe manner. Newstad says in the midterm, retail businesses could reopen to customers under best practices that essential businesses are currently using. Changing the flow of the store, ensuring we can do spacing between customers, ensuring we don't get too crowded in a store, sanitizing frequently those best practices that we see today at hardware stores and grocery stores and other retailers that are open. And even the 2020 Minnesota State Fair might end up being a casualty of COVID-19. Governor Tim Walz said late this week he won't make a definitive call, but also does not want to give any false hope. One of the greatest parts of the State Fair is it's super crowded, elbow to elbow with your neighbors, that everywhere you go, you just talk to somebody. That's the charm of the Minnesota State Fair a lot of time. Uh, unfortunately, that is the worst thing for COVID-19 control. Since it began in 1859, the Minnesota State Fair has only been canceled because of the Civil War, World War II, and the polio epidemic of 1946. Scott? Thank you, Bill. And I'll have more on the State Fair 2020 with General Manager Jerry Hammer when Minnesota Matters returns. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands. Cover your cough. Don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat. They actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors, and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Will the 2020 Minnesota State Fair happen or will it not? That's a question on a lot of people's minds. 
as we deal with COVID-19. I spoke with the State Fair's General Manager Jerry Hammer for some insight. If we compared it to a baseball game, it's uh, very likely the bottom of the sixth inning. Uh, we're down three runs, and the other guy's throwing a no-hitter. Uh, but that uh, that doesn't mean we don't play it out. You know, we're gonna we'll stay with it uh, with, with preparations uh, until until it's uh, 100% clear. And it, yeah, at the moment it's not optimistic at all. But uh, we still uh, in, we we're obligated. You know, it, it's our duty to do everything we possibly can for as long as we can uh, to produce a fair. So uh, so we're, we're going to stay at it for a while yet. Um, the news that I saw yesterday, uh, it sounded as though basically it's either going to happen without restrictions or not at all. Is that an accurate representation? Uh, yeah, that's right. You know, we, we thought about it a little bit, and we've been in contact with, with a lot of people. You know, we're, we're very fortunate uh, with fairs that we have friends literally all over the, well, the world. I was going to say the country, but that's the world. Uh, who are in the, the fair and agriculture show business, and we're talking all the time about it, about everything. And, and for a while, a, a concept of a sort of fair, sort of a fair came up. You know, where you limit attendance and cut back days, and you know, uh, do extraordinary measures, taking temperatures and all that. And uh, and and I, I was the one actually that uh, I, I think was. Um, at the forefront of if you need to take those extraordinary precautions and probably shouldn't be doing events you know fundamentally we're celebrations where people go and you leave whatever's going on outside you leave that you leave that out there when you come into the fair you're you know we're just celebrating the best of each other and if there has to be restrictions then uh it's that that really says it all you know people need to need to feel comfortable and confident and safe uh, if they're uh, going to attend events like the fair, and and unless they can, you know, so talk about social distancing, you know, in line for cookies, you know, that kind of thing, uh, it really doesn't, uh, really, really wouldn't do it. That that's not who we are. That's not what we do. So, uh, so we we need to be absolutely certain that people are confident uh, and ready to go, and that there is no threat to to public health. You know, we're not going to do anything that compromises anybody's health. So, uh, yeah, it, it needs to be a, a, a clear road looking ahead and, and people need to be ready for the event. And uh, in, unless we can do that, then, then uh, it, holding a fair just doesn't make a lot of sense. And Jerry, is there a timeline for making a final decision? Uh, no, and that, uh, that, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. There's so many different people that are involved there's this there's an infrastructure that uh, that includes agriculturalists and uh, commercial vendors food vendors um, amusement operators entertainers you know contractors production people all of these folks have to be uh, ha- have to be part of, of the mix and they have to be at their best for it to succeed so what we're seeing changing by the day in every one of those areas that i just mentioned you know and uh, what does agriculture have to do with entertainment well directly not much but if you're a fair then all of it ties very closely together Uh, and acts need to be you know entertainers uh, they need to be uh, uh, have the same perspective that we do in that and that our our visitors do at the fair you talked about a lot of the, the folks that are involved with making sure that the fair happens, and it, it is more than, of course, just the people that, that show up there, like myself or other Minnesotans. 
what kind of an impact does it have on vendors, um, folks in agriculture, and all those other folks if the fair doesn't happen? Do we have a sense of how that impacts everyone? Uh, it, it, to varying degrees, you know, de- depending on, on who you are and maybe what your involvement with the fair is, but that has an impact, impact on everybody from the of someone who enters something in creative activities uh, to our, you know, our, our biggest entertainers or or ride operators. Uh, the overall economic impact of the fair, and we used a very conservative model. Well, we did after 2018 fair, so this, so it's already dated some, but it was almost 300 million a year in the Twin Cities alone. Now that's Super Bowl size, and that happens every year, and it happens very quietly. It's not something that we, you know, that we uh, discuss very much, uh, but it it just happens. You know, it it just is. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, when there's no fair, uh, it'll have a, a very broad impact uh, across. Uh, and again, that 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 300 million, almost 300 million dollar number is is just the Twin Cities alone. There's a much greater impact when you when you go to surrounding areas, you know, throughout Minnesota and neighboring states, and uh, and even beyond. So yeah, it, it will it will have a big impact. But but everything is right now. You know, at at this particular time, we look at what's happening happening nationally with. Unemployment uh, pushing, I think it's just under 10%, uh, and it's happening locally, and uh, uh, it's it just, it's basically right now, it's affecting everybody. So um, so the, the fair is a big part of that in the Twin Cities, but, uh, you know, if we look at the much bigger picture, uh, it's uh, just the overall impact is, is already extraordinary. So, uh, you know, we're, we're all doing the best we can to adapt. Uh, and and survive and ultimately that's that's what it's about i think for all of us you know we're not we're not concentrating on this year and hell or high water you know uh no it, it it's looking at the at the, the viability and the strength and the flexibility of the fair uh far into the future you know we're we're playing the long game and we need to a special thank you to my guest minnesota state fair general manager jerry hammer of course we'll have any updates as they become available minnesota matters returns after this Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Most Minnesotans have a natural urge to get outside this time of year, and for many of us, it includes getting the boat out of winter storage and hitting the water. In light of COVID-19, the DNR is asking you to take additional steps to protect yourself, your family, and the people around you. Tasha Radel has more on the specifics. That's right, Scott. As boaters across Minnesota prepare to hit the water, they need to keep in mind tips for being safe on cold water, as well as their responsibility for staying close to home and practicing social distancing under Governor Tim Walz's stay-at-home executive order. Joining me now is Lisa Dugan, the DNR's Enforcement Recreation Safety Outreach Coordinator. So, you know, this time of year, there's always safety messages. Um, People are excited to get to the water, excited to launch a boat for the first time, and it just looks different this year. Um, A lot of people are home, families are home. So in addition to the typical safety precautions we would take in the spring, um, you know, we're just asking for um, the considerations of taking those extra precautions when it comes to social distancing and boating as well. And what that looks like is just taking steps for protecting yourself, protecting your family and the people around you that you're social distancing with, 
when you're um, out on the boat. And, you know, that's maintaining that distance of at least six feet. And that's at any point from, you know, if you're traveling from home to the lake, um, stopping to get fuel, make sure to take those extra steps to limit the interactions as much as you can. Lisa, are there going to be any limits to how many people can be on board a boat or a pontoon? Well, the the guidelines, you know, within the social distancing guidelines, it's to it's to only be with the people that you're already at home with, so only boating with the people in your immediate household. So whatever that looks like for you at home to maintain that, you know, when you're out on the boat. Um, so not asking your favorite fishing buddy, extended family, and friends onto the boat because it does it makes it really hard to maintain that that distance that we're trying to keep, um, you know, on the confined space of a boat. Lisa, no matter when the ice went out, there's one common theme. The water this time of year is dangerously cold. Falls into the water can quickly turn tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, water temperatures are just above freezing this time of year. And we see a third of our boating fatalities happen during the cold water season. Um, just because it's, it's such a dangerous time of year on the water, and without having um, that life jacket on, making that making that decision to not just bring it but to wear it every time you're on the boat is the difference between something tragic happening should you fall into the water unexpectedly. So make sure you know make sure not just to bring the life jacket but to wear it every time you're out on the water, um, especially this time of year during the cold water season. Will the DNR be out in full force patrolling water bodies even during the COVID-19 stay-at-home order? Well, this is a busy time of year for our conservation officers on the water anyway. And they're, you know, they're performing their normal tasks and the normal duties as they would, um, keeping in mind the social distancing for them as well while they're working. Before we wrap up today, anything else you wanted to add, Lisa? In the spring, we see a lot of the um, high water and um, flooding happening as we started to see the snow melt and the ice melt. Um, So keep in mind as well, if there's areas with high water or fast moving water, just to use extra caution this time of year, there's a lot of hazards that sometimes are hidden by that high water that you would typically see um, during a normal time of the year. But just to have extra caution looking for that as well. Thanks again to my guest, Lisa Dugan, the DNR's Enforcement Recreation Safety Outreach Coordinator. Before throwing it back to you, Scott, a couple of other reminders. Keep in mind water access site conditions may be different than in previous years. DNR managed accesses are open, but spring maintenance is not completed. To see what DNR managed sites are available, you can head to the DNR's COVID-19 website, or you can call the DNR Information Center at 888-646-6367. That's 888-646-6367. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Up next, MN Sports Director Mike Grimm has a look at how COVID-19 may be impacting the Brainerd International Raceway when Minnesota Matters returns. Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. 
I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Brainerd International Raceway has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic with the first two weekly events of the season wiped out. The biggest motorsports event in Minnesota is the annual NHRA National set for August 13th through the 16th in Brainerd and at the moment it is still scheduled to happen. Track owner Christy Copham says they're hoping they might be able to open some of the smaller drag racing events to drivers with no fans but right now the track events remain on hold. She says everything is postponed up through the May 4th executive order and she's hoping after that date that some events can begin. She spoke with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. Most of these events that um, the, that are a bracket or even CRA, that's motorcycle racing, they're there for themselves. They may come up with their immediate family or that kind of thing, but it's not a huge spectator sport um, that we, we in general could run almost every single event and still maintain social distancing as they're telling people to do. We just have not been able to get the okay like some other businesses have. In regard to that, is who who are you trying to talk to, and who are you hoping to try to to um, see if you can maybe run some of these races? We have mostly gone through um, local law enforcement and the county attorney, but we are trying to get letters down to you know the capital and see if there's anybody we can get a hold of. Our um, representatives, I I've, I've sent several emails to, understanding they're probably getting thousands and thousands of emails, but. I haven't gotten a response back from them as yet. You guys were, in essence, this past weekend, I know you had a drifting event that, that maybe was kind of a kickoff, so to speak, to the season that, that has been postponed. The event this weekend has been postponed and then on into um, into early May. What is the hope here in terms of, um, you know, that I think the stay-at-home order for now is through May 4th. Um, what, what are you, you know, if things went well, what are you hoping, um, you know, in terms of a timeline to get people um able to come out and watch or or at a minimum get uh, uh as you mentioned cars and motorcycles on the track currently i've i sent a survey out to see if the bracket racers would be interested in just postponing their event from the first weekend of may to the second weekend um the majority said yes it was 89 or 90 went up to 91 percent i think said yes they would do that so if we can if we are allowed to um we will just postpone that for a week and then um, put another group on the road course for the weekend that CRA was supposed to be there, hoping to start running the 7th, 8th, and ninth. You also have the driving school, um, which is kind of a fun thing. Um, what, what's the latest with, with when that might be able to, uh, to start? Currently, the lift is supposed to happen the, at 11.59 on the 3rd, and we are supposed to have an event on the 4th. We are leaving that on our schedule in hopes that that is going to stand true and that we are allowed to have those people up there. They're coming up, they're driving their own car, they're running the road course by themselves. There should be no reason we wouldn't be able to keep people at a distance and 
still maintain a safe event for for the enthusiasts to come up and do it. Well, certainly the big um, question is, you know, the hope would be that as we get through the spring and the summer, that um, as you get toward August, right, um, which, which BIR is, it hosts the, as we mentioned, the premier motorsports event in the entire state of Minnesota with the NHRA Nationals, um, how big, how important is it that that happens? Uh, I mean, you, you get, what, 100,000 people there for the weekend. Correct. There's a lot of people for that event, and I know NHRA has put out a new schedule for the season. They've had to cancel five or six events and postpone a couple others. Um, They still are looking forward to coming up here in August and very hopeful with the efforts that they've put in to be able to still do the event. Um, It's pretty important to BIR and a lot of the fans and and all of all of the people that are involved, the local community, the the money that it brings into the area. I think economically it's very important, especially at this time. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, in terms of, obviously it's important to the track because it's 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 the big event of the year, but I would think just the area, when you're talking that number and that volume of people that need hotel rooms, that will go to restaurants, that will do whatever else, that, um, that this is um, this is an economic impact that I would think most people hope this thing can, can happen. Correct. It, it, is a, it is a huge thing for this area in August, and I don't know any other weekend that sold out almost a year in advance. <laughs> it's something that people definitely look forward to, maybe not the locals as much, but <laughs> definitely the resorts and the restaurants, everything look forward to that event as well as BIR. So hopefully they can stay on schedule and figure out a way to make this happen. For people listening that might not be motorsports fans or maybe drag racing fans, um, let me give you an opportunity to explain what the NHRA Nationals are all about. Um, it, it is an unbelievable event. Even if you're not a motorsports fan, just the to to to, um, to see those cars go that fast. It's like a little. It's almost like a, a bomb explodes when when they take off. Um, you know the the top fuel ones. Uh, it, describe it a little bit for those people that might not be familiar with it, and um, and all of a sudden say, "Hey, that sounds kind of cool. Maybe I should come out." There's a there's a wide variety of people that come, and they're not all sports enthusiasts. the The most fun thing for me is to watch somebody that's never been there to watch the top fuel go for the first time. Um, any how you can see a car go 337 miles an hour in a thousand feet. It's impressive. The sound, the the speed, the flames, the you know everything about that is really gets people's adrenaline going. And then the NHRA as a whole is a totally different deal. The way they set things up, you have access to all the drivers. Everyone has a pit pass, so it makes the event even more fun for people because you can get up and close and personal with the cars, the drivers, the crew. Um, You're watching them go back and forth from the pit. You can see absolutely everything. It's not like going to other types of racing where you don't have that access. And the drivers are amazingly friendly, even within the midst of the competition, right? As you're walking through, they'll be out high-fiving people. And um, the, the mechanics, uh, I mean, and, and engineers and mechanics are amazing. Sometimes after a run, you know, it's a four-second run, um, they'll spend an hour tearing the car apart and putting it back together to make sure everything's good. I mean, it, it's a sight to behold, isn't it? Absolutely. They'll t- tear the entire motor down and put it back together before they take another run. And so you have access to sit and watch um, in their pit the whole time they're doing all of that. That's Brainerd International Raceway owner Christy Copham with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. 
That's going to do it for this week. Again, please stay safe. Thank you for listening and tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.